everyone to the Talking Reef Podcast. Questions and comments are always welcome. Please send them to podcast at talkingreef.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.talkingreef.com. Now here's the show. Hello everyone. Welcome to Talking Reef Podcast, episode 8. I want to start off saying subscriber count is holding steady right now, right about 65 listeners or so. I have to say I've been kind of a stats junkie uh, lately. I've been to the stats page almost every day, uh, sometimes multiple times a day to check it out. So it's exciting to see that uh, we are maintaining our subscriber rate, but I would like to see it grow, and I think it would make the show and the community a lot better if we get more listeners and more subscribers in here. So make sure that you're out there passing the word on about the show. Uh, Like I said before, if you're posting in any forums or in any groups, uh, feel free to throw it into your signature or let other people know about the show. I think it'll help a lot just if we can get people to come and check out the site and check out the show. Uh, hopefully they'll stick around and, and keep listening like so many of you have. The next quick thing that I wanted to talk about is something that I've been kind of thinking about in the back of my mind, something that I've thought a handful of times about actually doing myself, but I think I'm going to open it up to the entire community and see what we can do. So basically what I've been thinking of is starting in a photo inventory of different types of marine coral, fish, and inverts. Something that people can use to help them identify the coral or fish that they may be interested or that they may have. Uh, What I'm looking for is full listener participation. If you have a digital camera and some inhabitants in your tank, then you can help. Uh, This really needs to be a community effort. At this point, what I'd like to see is basically I want to try to get as many people as possible to send in pictures of their fish, of their coral, of their inverts, stuff like that. Uh, These would be specific pictures, uh, close-up pictures of the specific uh, animal in question. And then I'm going to take those pictures, categorize them into uh, various sections, and place them all into the photo gallery uh, on the Talking Reef website. It would be great if you knew the common names and or the scientific names, but if you don't, it's not a huge deal. I can work to help identify them for you. I want to do this because in my journey with saltwater tanks and stuff like that, it's been kind of challenging to figure out exactly what I have. Sometimes you'll go into a store or you'll meet with a fellow reefer and you'll get a coral or something. Usually it's with coral. Uh, most of the time we know exactly what the fish is, but... With a lot of the coral, especially the SPS coral, it can be very challenging to identify them and figure out exactly what you have. Uh, It also helps a lot for people that are interested in starting with some of the different types of coral and fish to go out, get a look at what different types of coral and fish other people are keeping and what they'll look like when they get bigger or when their polyps are fully extended and such. Uh, sometimes trying to search on the internet can get really challenging. I mean, if you go on the internet and just imagine searching for something like blue acro, well, as you can imagine, it would probably take some time to get the results that you're looking for and find a picture that can accurately identify the coral in question. Sometimes there's a lot of them that look the same, and sometimes the look of the exact two different specimens of the exact same species can even vary. So. Uh, Basically, that's what I'd like to do in a nutshell. 
Uh, I'm not looking for you to send in your photos right now. Uh, if you have them, that's great. But I'm, what I'm really interested in is to see it, what kind of participation uh, would be out there. So if this is something you'd be interested in helping out, helping me with this little project, uh, shoot an email to podcast at talkingreef.com, and then I will get back to you, and hopefully we'll try to identify what types of things that you have and what kind of assistance you can provide to the project. In a nutshell, that's what I got. So if you've got or if you want to help, shoot your emails in, and hopefully I'll get some good response rather quick, and we can start getting something together. Between now and then, I will probably start building the photo galleries on the site and at least getting a lot of my stuff in there, and hopefully we'll be able to get a lot more, and we'll work from there. I have received some comments and questions since the last show and a little bit before, so what I'm going to do at this point is I'm going to move on to uh, first to a comment, comment and a question, and then I'm going to move on to a couple other questions that I got. Okay, for the first comment, this was kind of a follow-up that was placed in the forums, uh, from John, and it was a follow-up to the show that was about mixing sea salts. Uh, John writes in to say, I use a one-gallon Tupperware jug with a lid to mix my salts. I heat about two cups of ROD water, RODI water in the microwave. From there, I add my salt and start to mix it. I find that it dissolves quicker. And then I add the rest of the RODI water, which cools down the heated water a lot, so it's not too hot when I add it to my tank. From there, I check the salinity. If there's any adver he asked the question, is there any adverse effects to adding the salt in hot water? And I did answer this one on the forums, but uh, like I said on the forums, I wanted to bring it up in the show. Uh, basically, as far as I know, there's no adverse effects to this. Uh, basically, as the water's heated, it's going to cause the salt to dissolve a lot faster. And this actually relates back to something that I talked about earlier. Um, regarding testing the salinity of your water when it's fully heated up versus the salinity of the water at room temperature or below. Uh, basically, the salt's going to dissolve uh, different and faster in the hot water. Uh, the main point that I, I wanted to make sure that John and everybody else understood is uh, make sure you can go ahead and dissolve your salt into the heated water, but make sure that you test the salinity before you put it into the tank at the proper tank temperature. Um, that way you make sure you get an accurate reading because if the water is much hotter, your salinity or your specific gravity is going to be different than it would be when the water fully adjusts and, and returns to room temperature or to the tank temperature. So thanks for that question, John. Uh, at this point, we're going to move on to a different question that was uh, posted under the forums. This first question here is also from John. John says, my question is on macroalgae. How important is it and is it needed? I have some chato in my fuge and some live rock rubble and live sand. The second part of his question was, on some of my live rock in my main tank, I'm starting to see a couple leafy macroalgae growth. Should I just leave it alone or should I remove it? I like the way it looks in my tank. It gives more of a natural look. So to answer John's first question, how important is it and is it needed? You know, basically, like I said earlier, there's no absolute right way to do it. But in my opinion, having macroalgae in your tank or in your fuge is, is very important. Macroalgae plays a key role in absorbing any excess nutrients in your tank. It also helps to reduce your overall nitrate levels, uh, both of which are really important, especially in a reef tank. So. Uh, yeah, in my opinion, it's it's definitely worth having, and if it's in there, I would keep it. Uh, on to his second question, mentioning that he's seeing some of it growing on his live rock in his tank, and should he leave it there? Absolutely, leave it there. Uh, if you can get it to survive, 
mainly because a lot of fish like to eat it. Uh, in my tank, I've got uh, a primarily tangs and uh, a fox face, both of which are voracious, uh, you know, algae eaters and uh, vegeta you know, vegetarians or herbivores. I think is the correct term. Uh, so any macroalgae that grows in my main display tank is immediately consumed. In my smaller 30-gallon tank, in which I have a, a pair of clownfish, I do have a couple rocks that grow some macroalgae on them. And basically what I do is, you know, about once a month or so, if uh, more often if the, it's growing real good, I'll go in there and I'll, I'll pull it all off the rocks and I'll hang it from a little lettuce clip inside my main tank, and all of the, the tangs and the fox face will actually run up and consume it. It's known to be good for them and you know like I said it has many other added benefits so if it does stay in your tank and you don't have stuff that eats it it's good to leave in there and in fact even if you have stuff that eats it I would just leave it alone let it grow. Uh, many many positives that it can provide your tank uh, especially like you mentioned it does give a nice natural look to the tank so in closing if I would say it's absolutely needed it's something you should really have and if it's in your main display tank leave it there it's great to have in there at this point I'm going to move on to the topics of this episode I've got two topics for you both are closely related I did split them up just for formatting purposes I'm going to run these topics in a question and answer style, uh, posing the question first and then following up with an answer to each one of them. The first topic I'm going to discuss is selecting your first fish or preparing your tank and getting your first fish and all that fun stuff. So for starters, when to add the first fish. As I've discussed in past episodes, uh, we should all be aware of this. You don't want to add your first fish or any inhabitants to your tank for that matter until your tank cycle has completely finished. Please refer back to the nitrogen cycle or uh, any of the previous episodes where I discussed this uh, regarding your tank cycle and how to check for it and how to make sure it's completed. But in short, you want to make sure that that tank cycle is completed before you add anything into your tank. Planning your tank. You want to make sure that you fully understand whether you're going to be doing a reef tank or a fish-only tank. Uh, these are very important because there's different types of fish that you can keep in each of these. Some fish can only be kept in fish-only tanks, while uh, other fish you don't want to really mix in a reef tank, or some fish that are really good to have in a reef tank. So the other thing you want to look at is if you're going to have an aggressive fish tank or a docile fish tank. A lot of fish are very aggressive. Some of them are very docile. It's usually not a good idea to mix these two types of fish. A lot of times aggressive fish cannot go into a reef tank because they'll have a tendency to eat a lot of the invertebrates and some will even eat the coral. So it's another good thing to see and to make sure you know whether it's going to be aggressive or docile, reef or fish only. So selecting your first fish. The first thing you want to do is check out a fish store. Now this can be an online fish store or a local fish store. My two cents is unless you're fully uh, aware of what you're doing and you have a good grasp on what you're doing, you should start at a local fish store. Online fish stores can usually offer very good deals and have very, you know, very good prices and stuff, but you have to keep in mind that a lot of these are going to be far away from you and the livestock is going to be shipped or overnighted or FedExed or something like that to you through the mail. This can be very stressful for the fish or the coral or whatever you happen to be getting. So I usually don't recommend doing this. The other aspect is 
you know, regarding the cost, if you look at the online fish stores, you'll see, oh, well, that, there's a really good deal on this fish. In fact, it's, it's $10 cheaper than if I were to buy it from a local fish store. Well, once you add on the overnight shipping and handling costs, you can easily uh, rack that bill up quite well. I find that online retail stores and online fish stores and stuff like that are excellent for dry stock or, you know, stuff like that, your, your salts or your chemical supplies, you know, anything but livestock. Uh, I know a lot of people that have very, had very good success with online stores, so I'm not saying that they're not good. I'm just saying that make sure you understand what you're getting into. Uh, be prepared to have some uh, casualties because it does happen. A lot of online fish stores do offer guarantees and stuff like that. So the risk is kind of low, I would say. I haven't personally purchased from an online fish store, uh, but like I said, there, I do know some people that have done it and have had some good luck with it. So if you're going to do it, make sure you understand what you're getting yourself into. Uh, personally, I would recommend going to a local fish store uh, for many reasons. Uh, a lot of those reasons I will get into shortly. So for the next issue, I want you want to know whether you're interested in tank-raised or wild-caught fish. Uh, normally it doesn't matter when you're going to the local fish store. A lot of them will identify the differences, but you want to be aware that there are differences between the two. Tank-raised fish are usually going to be more healthy. They're going to survive better in your tank. Uh, you're going to have an, a higher overall success with them, although the cost to them is usually a little bit higher. Uh, in some fish it's usually only a couple dollars, in some fish it may be more. Wild-caught fish also have a tendency to be a little bit more aggressive, a little bit harder to handle and to get a little harder to acclimate into your tank. They also run the risk of introducing foreign disease, bacteria, fungus, uh, stuff like that, parasites. So generally speaking, tank-raised fish are better. Uh, the other important aspect is when you're dealing with tank-raised fish, you're not removing fish from the wild reefs. So that, that's good from an ecological standpoint and generally a good idea to try to look for tank-raised fish. You're going to have a, a better overall experience and you're not going to be impacting the wild reefs. So when you go into your local fish store, what are you going to look for when you decide what fish you want? Well, you're going to take a look at the fish. You're going to pick out the fish. You want to take a look at the type of environment they're kept in. You want to make sure that the tanks that they're kept in in the store are clean you don't see a whole lot of you know dead fish in the tank or sick fish you want to stay away from that the things to stay away from would be you know if you see dead fish in the tank or if you see fish in the tank that look like they have parasites uh, you want to make sure that the fish that you're looking at has a good coloration you want to make sure that they're feeding regularly that they accept food a lot of people say uh, that it's a good idea, and I agree with them, to have the person in the local fish store feed the fish. You want to make sure that the fish that you pick is in a healthy state, and a good way to determine that is if they eat readily. A lot of fish will jump at the chance to eat no matter what, even if they've just eaten. So most fish stores will comply with this request very, you know, very easily, and it's a good way to determine whether you're going to get a healthy fish or not. So I would recommend doing that. Another good point that you need to keep in mind is how many fish you can have in your tank. When you're planning out your tank and you pick the type of fish that you want, you want to kind of get a grasp on how many fish you can have in the tank overall. A good rule of thumb is that you're going to have one inch of fish per five gallons of water. Uh, this is different from fresh water. 
and it's something that should be followed fairly, you know, fairly carefully. Uh, there are exceptions to the rule, of course. A lot of the really small fish uh, don't necessarily or may not necessarily need to be counted into this. It's usually a good idea to make sure you do your homework, though, figure out what type of fish you're going to keep, and kind of keep all this in mind when you're, you're planning out your tank. And to elaborate a little bit more, uh, the next question is what type of fish can be mixed? It's really important to pay attention to fish, hu fish husbandry. Certain types of fish can be kept together and a lot of them can't be kept together. You really need to pay attention to the type of fish that you have and, and how they should be kept. Uh, a couple good examples I'm going to give you are clowns and tangs. I'm going to start with the clownfish, for example. Clownfish are a type of damselfish. They have a tendency to be rather aggressive towards others. Clownfish should be only be kept in the, with their own species. For example, you don't want to mix a percula clown and a pink skunk clown, for example. A lot of times clowns, clownfish have a tendency to be very aggressive towards other species of clownfish. So there's other aspects when keeping clownfish that I'm not going to get into. You want to make sure that there's certain you keep certain sexes together and stuff like that. Or when you get into like maroon clowns, they tend to be a lot more aggressive. So generally speaking, clownfish should be kept with their own species. You know, you can have two or three percula clowns or two or three ocellaris clowns or something like that. The other, the opposite would be tangs. Tangs should only be kept a single species per tank. They have a tendency to be very aggressive towards other species that have similar body shapes. So for example, a Nassau tang and a blue hippo tang are usually very good together because their body shapes are different. Uh, a yellow tang would also mix quite well in there also because its body shape is But if you were to actually mix a couple Nassau tangs or a couple blue tangs or even a couple yellow tangs, you have a higher chance that they are going to be more aggressive towards each other. Um, even something like a Nassau tang with a different type of tang, I can't think of any off the top of my head, that have a very, very similar body shape. Those are types of things you want to keep away from. So all in all, the basic point here is, is you really need to have a good understanding of what types of fish can go with what types of fish. You want to make sure that you keep the really aggressive fish away. Uh, needless to say, you don't want to put like a lionfish and some cleaner wrasses in the same tank. There's a really good chance that that lionfish is just going to consume them. Lionfish only have, also have a tendency to eat a lot of the smaller, uh, soft invertebrates. Uh, you know, a lot of soft shrimp and stuff like that could be eaten also, and they are very quick. So the main point here is make sure that you pay attention to fish, fish husbandry. Make sure you know what you're getting and what you want in the future. A lot of times the local fish store may not have the exact species that you're looking for at the time when you're trying to go get it, and you may get something else. Well, you want to make sure that that something else isn't going to conflict with something that you want down the road. I kind of ran into a little bit of problem with this. I was really, really wanted a, a powder blue tang. Well, my local fish store just, you know, I kept going back and going back and going back, and they just never had one. Well, I ended up with a couple other tangs and pretty much filled up my tank with them and it just so happened that about two weeks ago I went in there and they had a beautiful powder blue tang and I couldn't get it because you know I had already filled up my tank and uh, with some types of uh, tangs that it really wouldn't mix well with so you know a lot of fish stores will order the type of fish that you want you usually have to wait a little bit for them to get it in but 
know what you want and make sure you stick to it. Make sure that you plan out everything properly. So once you get your fish and you decide what you want, and you go to the local fish store, you pick it up, uh, you have to bring it home. You know, there's not a whole lot to say about this, but you really want to be careful when you're transporting your fish home. Most people are aware of this. You know, you are carrying a live fish, and usually in a plastic bag or something like that. You want to make sure you don't jostle it around too much. Uh, keep the overall stress level low. Uh, if you're going on a long trip or something like that, or not on a long trip, but if you're the local fish store is far away from your house, uh, it's sometimes a good idea to bring like a soft cooler or something like that, or even a, a hard cooler, something that you can put the bag in to c help keep the, the water warm and make sure that the fish is less stressed on the way home. So once you get the fish home, it's time to acclimate the fish. And this actually brings up our second topic that we're going to discuss here, which is fish acclimation. So now you've got your fish home and you're ready to throw it in your tank. Well, you have to do something called acclimate. Um, you have to acclimate the fish to your tank. Uh, this is the same concept as in freshwater. Uh, a lot of freshwater keepers are, that have moved over to saltwater are you know, very familiar with this process. Basically, in a saltwater tank, you're going to take your new fish in the bag and you're going to float it. Uh, basically, this is just putting the bag into the water and letting it float on the surface of the water for about a half hour or so. The main purpose in a freshwater tank is to let the water in the bag adjust to be the same temperature in the water as the water in the fish tank. Well, you have to do the same thing in salt water too, except it's a little bit more, or it's a more elaborate process. Not only do they have to adjust to the temperature, but the fish also has to adjust to specific chemicals in your tank. It also has to adjust to the salinity and to the pH of your tank. So. There's a lot more things that it has to acclimate to, and there's a lot more, a little bit more of a process that you have to go through. You're going to need a handful of supplies to get this done. First of all, you're going to need some kind of bucket or container. Uh, a one to five gallon bucket is usually all that's needed. Five gallons probably a lot more than you're going to need, a lot more. I would say a one gallon bucket or sometimes smaller is even okay, depending on what type of fish you're acclimating. But you want your container, it should be cleaned out, make sure that it's never been used before for anything else. You want to make sure that there's no cleaning solvents, anything like that. If you have an existing bucket, it's probably not a good idea to use it, especially if you don't know what's been in it before. You want to make sure that the bucket's clean. Don't ever clean it out using any type of dish soap or anything like that. If you get a new bucket and you do feel that you want to clean it out, use fresh water. Uh, you can also use vinegar or anything like that to remove anything that might be inside of it. Uh, so once you get your bucket, uh, you're also going to need a heater, and that's basically going to be used to maintain the temperature of the water. Needless to say, I mean it's a heater. And the other thing is going to be an air stone. This is going to make sure that the water stays oxygenated for the fish, and it also helps generate a little bit of water movement in the container for the fish. So basically, your Got, you got your equipment we have to what we'll do is we'll discuss the acclimation process so what you'll do is you'll take your your bag with the fish in it and you're going to drain the water and the fish into this container you're going to want to place some kind of heater into this container along with the air stone and get it all going at the same time now what you're going to do is over the course of about a half hour you want to add about a cup to a cup and a half of tank water to this container and what this is going to do is it's going to slowly allow the fish to adjust to your tank water. So I would say about every 10 minutes or so, add a cup of water to it. 
and then carry through this process for about 30 to 40 minutes or so. 30 minutes is usually sufficient. Uh, you want to be careful that you go, don't go too far because it can, it can stress the fish out, especially if uh, you're not aerating the water properly or something like that. So that's, basic, that's the basic process of acclimating the fish. After this point, you want, you'll be ready to add the fish into the tank. You want to make sure it's very, very important not to add any foreign water into the tank. So you basically will net the fish out of that container, put it into your tank, and dispose of the water. There are a lot of other things that I'm not going to discuss at this point, such as freshwater dips and stuff like that. I found that they have a tendency to be very risky, and I've actually lost a fish doing it. Uh, I have succeeded on many other occasions, but um, for, mo for most of the time, if you're, especially if you're getting a tank-raised fish and you're getting it from a local fish store that's very reputable, freshwater dips are not necessary. So uh, at this point, I'm not going to specifically recommend them as long as you follow these guidelines and so forth. So another thing that I do want to mention is uh, quarantine tanks. Once you have properly acclimated your fish, what a lot of people will do is put them into what's called a quarantine tank. This is basically a fish tank that is set up and is cycled, and it's, it's basically like a, a hospital tank or something like that. You're going to put this fish into there. It's going to stay into this, in this tank for usually a couple weeks, and the point of it is you have a, a tank that is completely separated from your main display tank, and you can use this to observe the fish over the course of a couple of weeks to make sure that it's not going to introduce uh, foreign parasites or anything like that. Uh, one of the things, you'll, you'll make sure that the fish survives and make sure it lives, make sure it stays healthy, uh, make sure you don't notice any type of fungal infections or any kind of ick or anything like that on the fish. So I personally don't use them, but I know a lot of people that have, and the fact that I don't use them is more or less because I don't have the room to set up another tank. I've got so many as it is. And at this point, I'm not adding any new fish to my tank, so I've got everything that I'm putting in there and so on and so forth. So quarantine tanks are generally a good idea, especially if you already have an established tank and you're introducing a new fish. I would have to say that at this point with either of my tanks, if I were to add another fish to it, I would probably go in and set up another 10-gallon tank or a 20-gallon tank or something like that real quickly just to act as a quarantine tank because I've got so much invested into these tanks as it is and they're doing very well. I wouldn't want to risk it. So, But basically, uh, the detail, that's high-level details of the quarantine tank. If you have more specific questions on that, feel free to write in, and I'll, I'll try to do my best to answer uh, if you have more specific questions. Uh, I think that's probably about it for these two topics. Just kind of a recap, we discussed uh, selecting your first fish, what to look for, what to stay away from, places to go to get them, uh, fish husbandry, acclimating the fish to your tank, and even the options of using quarantine tanks and stuff like that. So, there's a little overview. If you have any more specific questions regarding this, I know I kind of breezed through a lot of it, and I, I didn't go into great detail on, on some of the things. There's a, a handful of items that I discussed that uh, we could go into a lot more detail on. But if you're looking for more information, uh, as with anything else, feel free to go to the discussion boards and, and post any follow-up questions under the follow-up section. And if you have any new questions related to this or anything else, uh, make sure that you go to... 
the website. You can post them in the forums, or for new questions or anything, you can send them to podcast at talkingreef.com, and we'll get your questions on here. So far, I've managed to answer every question that's come in here on the show, and I'm getting some real good feedback, and it seems like people are really liking it. So at this point, we're going to move up to the closing section, and then we'll end the show. So this is the closing section of the show. Basically, I wanted to recap uh, a couple of things that I mentioned earlier. Subscriber rates is doing real good, but I do want to see it get a little bit higher. Make sure that you're spreading the word, telling your friends, you know, even talking to people in the local fish store, anybody that you know might be computer savvy enough to pick up a podcast. It's not very hard anymore, especially with the new iTunes and stuff like that. It's very easy to pick them up, and it doesn't require any, you know, any mp3 player ipod specifically you can listen to them right on the computer download them right from the website so make sure you get out there spread the word i'd like to get a lot more people listening and get a lot more feedback and questions and stuff like that and then the other thing i wanted to just touch back on again was the photo project and the inventory and stuff like that that i'm a little project that i'm working on you know send any of your your comments in to me about that uh, if you're willing to participate in this i really want to hear from you just send all that in through email to our email address and uh, i'm going to start working with you uh, i'll send back the information on what i'm looking for for you know picture formats and stuff like that well that's going to be about it for this episode um, as usual send any questions and comments to podcast at talkingreef.com don't forget to spread the word and i will talk to you soon thanks for listening